Carrie's, my father-in-law's birthday was yesterday, so Carrie decided to surprise him, and uh, so she went down to St. Louis to see him, and that's where she is this morning. Last week, I actually encouraged her not to come because our brother-in-law, who we had seen, had been had COVID, and so I just figured if she didn't come, there'd be one less person uh, people could interact with. And you guys all like her more than me, so there's more of a, more of a flocking to her anyway. Um, but. Yeah, please pray for safe travels for her this later this morning as she heads back from St. Louis. And uh, John chapter 6. Well, it's a pretty long section, verses 1 to 15 and then 22 to 59. And if you're wondering, is this is going to be like a 90-minute sermon? No, it won't. <laughs> After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that they had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw the signs, But because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? 
What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna and the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the word is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, you are the mighty God from whose presence earth and sky flee. Your awesomeness and immensity is that great. We praise your great and glorious name. Lord God, we come to you as fallen people in a fallen world. But may we be reminded of your gospel, that though we are sinful and fallen, though you are holy and hate sin, you loved us enough to send your Son. Let us rejoice that there is eternal life through what Christ has done. Lord, we pray for our missionaries today. We pray for the work to which you have called them in various parts of our nation and throughout the world. 
as parts of the world become increasingly hostile to the gospel, as parts of the world and parts of our nation become less receptive to the truth of the gospel, Lord God, we pray for their work, we pray for their safety, we pray for their families and the balance of family and ministry. Lord, we thank you for people we've partnered with who are committed to doing your work and serving your kingdom. But may we also be a church that has a burden for our own community and the surrounding communities to serve, to share the good news, to connect with people, and to push ourselves to love one another and to shine as light. Lord, we ask that you bless our time in your word. May we be pointed to truth and life that is only found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're resuming our series in the Gospel of John this morning. I've loved studying this book, and I certainly hope and pray that it's been edifying and been a blessing to you. As we go verse by verse through this book, it does obviously take time. And again, I know that it's time well spent, uh, but I also think there are times where it's good to take a, a little bit of a break. So that's what we did for the last few weeks when we did our, our sort of summer series that I called it the Forensics of Faith. But again, I'm happy to be back in John this morning. Again, that was a, a long passage we just read, but uh, and part of it we've actually preached on before. Um, at least half of the passage we, we've looked at in, in other sermons in our series in John. But I think it's helpful to sometimes get the, the sort of the 30,000 foot view of a passage and to look at a longer section and how it works together. And so this morning with the passage, we're going to be looking at it in three scenes. Um, and it all kind of builds up to the profound statement that Jesus makes in verses 53 and 54, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And again, I feel like everything from the feeding of the multitudes to Jesus saying that he is the bread of life is kind of ultimately building up to that moment. And so again, we're going to look at this in three scenes. And in each of these scenes, we'll see the bread as a focal point in the story. Uh, we see people misunderstanding Jesus. We see allusions to the Old Testament. And we see Jesus progressively revealing his nature to the crowd. So the first scene is Jesus feeding the multitudes. And Jesus feeding the multitudes is the catalyst for everything else that follows in this chapter. And to remind us in the passage... Jesus has been teaching, and he's near the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd has come to hear his teaching. And the passage tells us that there are 5,000 men, and that number doesn't include their wives and their children, so it could have been 10, 15, 20,000 people to whom he was teaching. And they're in a remote area, and as Jesus is teaching, they run into a logistical problem. How are these people going to eat? And they find a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. And then John records the miracle in verses 11 to 13. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. 
So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. The Lord Jesus does this miraculous sign when he feeds this large multitude of people. He takes a little bit of bread and fish and feeds thousands. Verse 13 tells us that they had leftovers. Now, certainly, if you had been in that crowd, that would have been an astonishing sight to see. But I think it is hard for a lot of us to truly appreciate the miracle. I think we only get part of why it's such an amazing thing. We get the part that's amazing in the sense that Jesus made a lot of bread and fish basically out of thin air. Certainly, I think we can appreciate that. But I don't think that we see this as a lot of people throughout history and as the people in the crowd probably saw it. D.A. Carson, former professor of mine, talks about this, and I think this is helpful. Imagine if I told you that I could increase your income by 80%. No, I'm not talking about some sort of multi-level marketing scheme. But seriously, imagine I told you I could increase your income by 80%. You'd probably be pretty interested. Well, in first century Galilee, about 70 to 80% of a person's working labor went to either growing food or some other work in order to be able to acquire or buy food. And for much of human history, that's been the case. 70 to 80% of your income simply went to buying food so that you could live. And really, in parts of the world today, that's still the case. By comparison, according to the USDA, the average American spends about 9.5% of their income on food. And that includes dining out. And let's face it, for most of us, and this isn't a judgment, a lot of our diet includes things that aren't really necessary to our diet. We have luxury items that we buy. Most of us in America, we're blessed that we're not just sticking to the basic staples of bread and Rice and beans and, you know, uh, right? Oreos are not a necessity to life. Um, so we spend 9.5%. But the point I'm making is that really we could probably actually even drive that down even lower if we just stuck to, to the necessities. Not saying that we should, but... And so the point that D.A. Carson makes about this passage is that we're reading a story that was written in the first century. And they had views of food that were different than our view of food. And while we might think that it's neat that Jesus could feed a large group of people, if you had been in the crowd, it wasn't simply that Jesus had given you a meal. It's that you saw someone who could create the thing for which you toiled and labored, again, basically from nothing. How interested would you be if I told you that I could increase your income by 70 or 80%? I think that the multitudes Jesus fed had thoughts that they were much more along those lines than simply being impressed that he gave them one meal. This passage alludes to the Old Testament in a few different ways. First, in the beginning of the story, it mentions that the time of year is Passover, the time when God had used Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery. As God provided bread called manna, the Israelite in the Israelite wanderings, we see Jesus providing the bread. And we see the response from the crowd at the end of this section, verses 14 and 15. 
When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Verse 14 calls the miracle a sign. And as with other signs that Jesus does in the Gospel of John, they always point beyond themselves. And as we'll see in this passage, as it unfolds, the sign is not simply about bread. We also see in the passage that after Jesus had fed this multitude, they wanted to make him their king. It's easy for hungry people to be drawn to the one who can feed them. After Jesus withdraws from the crowd, after he performs the miracle of walking on water, we again see the crowd together with him the following day at the beginning of verse 22. And that brings us to our second scene. In the first scene, we see Jesus providing bread. In the second scene, Jesus will reveal that he himself is the true bread. In verse 26, Jesus rebukes the crowd who has wanted to make him king. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus says that they're drawn to him because he fed them. And while that's significant, it's not the ultimate need that Jesus came to address. He came to a world that was dead in sin to bring eternal life. They wanted Jesus to be a king, and while Jesus was and is a king, he didn't come to be the king on their terms. And he continues speaking to the crowd, and Jesus elaborates on his previous statement in verse 27 when he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And the crowd asks Jesus what they must do. And the answer is that it's not about our goodness. It's not about our actions. It's not about our behaviors. Verse 29, Jesus explains to the crowd whom he's just fed, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The crowd goes on. They ask for a sign, forgetting that Jesus has fed them the day before. But again, it's a reference to the Old Testament. Verse 31, they say, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Specifically, mentioning the the manna connected to Moses in the Old Testament. The Exodus story would have been well known to this crowd. They were familiar with the manna from heaven. And the miracle which Jesus has done reminds them of that. In Exodus, the Lord had promised an abundance of bread. Exodus 16.4 says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Yes, they had seen Jesus provide bread once, but God did it for the Israelites every day for decades. Perhaps that was part of their thought process. If Jesus is supposedly greater than Moses... Shouldn't he do greater things? But Jesus will explain why he's greater. Verse 33, Jesus says, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
The people ask for this bread, but they still don't grasp what he's saying. Just as we saw when Jesus interacted with Nicodemus, when he said that you must be born again, and he's referring to regeneration, and Nicodemus misinterpreted that as literally entering his mother's womb a second time and being born. Just like with the woman at the well to whom Jesus promised living water, when referring to the spirit and regeneration, and she thought he was just referring to H2O. Here again, the crowd thinks that Jesus provides simple physical nourishment. In verse 34, the crowd pleads, Sir, give us this bread always. In his commentary on John Colin Cruz, notes that they want a continual supply of bread as had been given to the Israelites so that they would not have to toil and labor for their sustenance. But that's when Jesus explains to the crowd in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the eternal nourishment and the daily bread without which we spiritually starve. The world wants to just satisfy your body. The world makes idols of what is fleeting and feeds the body, whereas Jesus feeds the soul. And it is because he is the bread of life that he is the greater bread. Jesus continues speaking to the crowd. He again rebukes them in verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. The crowd is following Jesus, but not for the right reasons, not out of faith. They're drawn to the spectacle and the hope that he can meet their physical needs. As Jesus continues to elaborate, he'll make several references to his mission and purpose in connection to the will and plan of God. The crowd might have an incorrect theology, But the truth of the divine plan does not depend on man. Jesus has come to do the will of God. He says, those whom God has given him, he will not cast out. Jesus will tell the crowd in verse 38 that he has been sent from heaven. And with that, we come to our third scene, which is the culmination of Jesus giving the bread to the multitudes and explaining that he is the bread of life. He explains the bread in its relationship to eternal life. In verse 40, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. As we've seen many times throughout this gospel, Jesus is not seeker-sensitive with this statement. He speaks in absolutes and does not give gray area. And the crowd is taken aback. He is telling the crowd of the necessity of faith in him. And there's irony that the crowd thinks that they know Jesus. They're taking the claims, taking in the claims that he's making, that he is the bread of life, that eternal life is found in believing in him. But the crowd responds in verses 41 and 42. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, 
Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They question his credentials. But Jesus responds to the group, and he largely picked up the train of thought from a few verses ago. In verse 43, he rebukes the crowd for their grumbling, as the Israelites had grumbled during their wanderings in the desert. They would question God's goodness and faithfulness in Exodus. Jesus, in this passage, is the Lord on earth who they question. He is the true bread, but they're not looking to him for their spiritual and eternal sustenance. Again, he's already established that nothing will thwart the divine plan of the gospel. Jesus has already said that he cannot lose any who come to him in true faith. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says in verse 44 that one cannot come to him, the source of true life, unless the Father draws them. In the New Testament, we see this idea in action. In Acts 16, when Paul is ministering to Lydia, the passage says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. In verses 47 and 48, Jesus, Jesus again says that it is belief in him that is the basis for eternal life, and that he is the bread of life. Really, there's quite a bit of repetition in this passage, but keep in mind that this was spoken to a crowd, and in public speaking, oftentimes a point is said more than once compared to if you're just writing something that a person can read and reread. And so for emphasis, there are points and themes that get repeated throughout this passage. For instance, Jesus keeps reiterating the theme that he is the bread of life. He keeps reiterating in this passage that he has come down from heaven. With all of the discussion in this passage about the Israelites and the manna, verses 49 and 50, Jesus reminds them of an important fact. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the true bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Yes, in the Old Testament, the Israelites had manna, and that was miraculous, but they still died. Jesus comes to bring eternal life. In verse 46, Jesus talks of Himself as one who has seen God. Moses never saw God. Earlier in this passage, the multitudes incorrectly attribute the provision of bread to Moses. Also incorrect. It came from God. What Jesus is saying is that he is greater. He is greater than Moses. He gives the greater bread. He brings something that is greater than the old covenant. He gives a greater revelation of God. And here we come to the fruition of Jesus' teaching point. 
In the first scene, Jesus provided the bread. In the second scene, Jesus said he was the bread. And here he says that it is the consumption of this bread which gives eternal life. Verses 51, beginning in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The one who eats the bread Jesus provides has eternal life. And also the bread given is his flesh. He's not speaking literally in the sense of any sort of cannibalistic expectation. That would have been just as grotesque for his original audience as it is for us today. Such things were specifically forbidden in the Old Testament. The audience tries to understand, verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus has raised the stakes. It's not just eating his flesh, but he'll also say drinking his blood. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Some take the language of eating his flesh and drinking his blood to be a reference to communion, the Lord's Supper. That's certainly the Catholic understanding of this passage. And I can see how it appears that way. But the setting and language do not fit the other accounts. John's Gospel does not actually have Jesus instituting communion as the other Gospels do. But again, in this passage, the language is different. It doesn't fit. It's not in the context of a meal by the time we get to the end of the passage. He's not breaking bread and distributing wine. Communion is instituted in the other Gospels just before Jesus dies. This is a Passover at least a year before he dies. Communion is instituted as a sign of the new covenant. It is not at the time of the actual institution of the new covenant. When we take communion, while the bread is a symbol of the body of Christ, in this passage, Jesus refers to the bread as his flesh. And so again, even the terms and language are different. Furthermore, when Jesus talks of the necessity of consuming his flesh and blood, to associate that with partaking in communion does not fit the context of what he's been saying throughout this entire passage. Consider again verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And it's coming to him and believing in him. Verse 40. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And then consider again verse 53. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Everything in this passage, in this gospel, has hinged on faith in Jesus, belief in him. 
And so it's the wrong interpretation to take verse 53 as Jesus saying that a person must participate in communion in order to be saved. Communion is important, but it is not salvific. It's important because it's a command of Christ, but it does not save you unto itself. And while he's not talking about communion in this passage, I think it's important to consider that communion and this passage are both referring to the same reality, which is Jesus' sacrificial death. So again, the passage, Jesus is not talking about participating in communion. But communion and this passage refer to the same thing. Hopefully that makes sense. Both things, this passage, John 6, and communion, point us to the gospel. In the spiritual sense, the flesh of Christ is eaten and the blood of Christ is drunk by the means of having faith in Jesus. And it is that which is the culminating point of this section. Jesus is the bread of life that we must consume, and that is done through having faith in him. As he's done elsewhere in this gospel, he uses an example, a metaphor from the physical world to communicate a spiritual reality. And so when Jesus says we must eat his flesh and drink his blood, it is a metaphor for believing in him. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus points to the salvation and to the everlasting life and to the promise of future resurrection. Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus points to our union with him as those who believe in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is the one who is sent from the Father. It is through feeding on him that there is life. He is the one who came down from heaven. He specifically said he is not like the bread that the Israelites ate in the Old Testament because he is the greater bread. As the manna needed to be collected every day, just as the bread Jesus gave to the multitudes only sustained them for one meal, Jesus provides the bread from which we will never hunger. And so in this passage, we see that Jesus provides something greater than Moses because Jesus is greater than Moses. And we see that Jesus is the bread of life and that he's the one whose flesh was given so that we could be forgiven. He's the one whose blood was shed so that we could have life. And the belief that his life was given so that we could have eternal life is the ultimate consumption of the true bread that Jesus provides. And the response to that is believing in him and trusting in him as the one who is the source of eternal life and the only way to eternal life. Would you pray with me? 
Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you for your Son. May we believe and trust and have faith in him. Come to him and believe in him. That he is the Lord. He is the one whose flesh was crucified on the cross. Whose blood was shed for our sin so that we can have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.